Business and Buckets, episode 94, coming at you on this beautiful Wednesday morning. It's already August. I can't believe it. We're at the edge of summer. Just got back from an insane trip to Wyoming, back to the 307 Pinedale, Wyoming, for the first time in 12 years. I really can't believe it's been that long, but it's been a long time, and uh, it was really cool seeing some friends and family. Got to go comp- uh, camping up in the Upper Green. My uncle took me off-roading up there. Amazing sights. We got to catch the sunset where the Tetons were out in the distance. You could see uh, Square Top right up above the Green uh, Lake over there. You're able to see uh, the mountains over by Dubois. It was a beautiful sight. Going up there past one um, vehicle, which was a Forest Service vehicle, a little side-by-side. There was a side-by-side posted up by where we saw the views. Guy must be backpacking or prepping for hunting camp. Um, but complete solitude. No no radio, just living with nature, vibing out. Saw a few deer, some foxes, stuff like that. But um, in the world of technology, I have this camera on me. <clears throat> I'm staring at screens. I have my phone. When you're working, you have multiple screens, and I just feel in today's world, it's important for humans to just check out, be one with nature, escape that, not worry about, you know, we had no cell service, not worry about checking your phone, doing anything, just being in that moment, and for me, I know it helps me feel revitalized. Um, It just makes you feel good. It's like a good reset, and I think it's mandatory. It should almost be mandatory in my mind. I know I try to go out. Um, escape from technology and all the hustle bustle in the city once a week on the weekends. I usually am hiking, snowboarding, doing something of that nature. Um, but I don't think I've ever had the complete solitude that I had that day. I mean, golly, what a, what, what a scene that was. I really missed the 307 so much ground to touch there. Um, and got to see some really cool friends go to the, the little, you know, Bermuda Triangle of bars and have a good time and see some people that I haven't seen in a long time. So enough about me, though, right? You know, this weekend we have a good sports weekend. We're just on the heels of the MLB trade deadline. So let's dive in on episode 94. But before we talk sports, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So fellas, Performance is the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you need counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than your average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. So let's face it. We all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, so increase vitality inside and outside the gym with counterattack. The missus will thank y'all for it. So go to fueledsupplements.com, use the promotion code buckets for 15% off. Once again, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now the MMA world. We have some fights announced, boy. I mean, the UFC is on fire. Absolute fire. Dana White contender series, the ultimate fighter. Just all the amazing cards that they have every fucking weekend. And that's why I want to be a part of it. And that is why I'm going MMA only. But let's talk about some of these amazing fights that have been booked this week. We have Hakeem Dawudo versus Julian Arosa. I mean, stylistically, that is going to be fun. Uh, A lot of striking going to be on display there. 
Edson Barboza, a straight savage, taking on a young up-and-coming Aliyah Taporia, uh, who had the beef with Patty Pimblett. Uh, this is a big step up in competition for Aliyah. Edson Barboza trying to finish his career strong as he has moved down and fought about four or five fights at this weight class. One of the more elite strikers and kickers in the UFC history, in my opinion. <clears throat> Muhammad Mokayev, man, this young fucking stallion is active. He wants to just wax everybody. He's getting another step up in competition. He is taking on Malcolm Gordon. We have Alir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek. That'll be a fun one for the big dogs. An amazing flyweight bout where we get Askar Askarov versus Brandon Royval. Enum Claw local Chase Hooper taking on Steve Garcia Jr. Chase Hooper, another very young kid getting in there, getting that experience. Dustin Jacoby Khalil Roundtree. Are you kidding me? That's the fight I called for after Justin Jacoby's last bout. Um, the matchmakers agreed. I mean, that is going to be such a fun fucking fight and a huge fight for both of them in their careers. <clears throat> we all expected this. But Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler is official UFC 281 at MSG. And that's, I believe, the first bout on that card. I mean, UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, the Sugar Show, uh, two different uh, title fights. It's shaping up to be amazing. But you know they're going to finish the year with a banger at MSG. Yep, I don't see any other fights booked for that. But that is a great fucking start. Because that fight is going to be bonkers. Speaking of fights, I got my Sugar Show shirt. Uh, for my 30th birthday, I went to UFC, bought a, a bunch of shirts for the whole squad. A month before UFC 276, they came in like a week later. I returned them all. I kept this one for me. It's like a GTA style of the Sugar Show. All of his cool poses, hairdos, and knockouts. Um, I just fucking love the UFC, man. I love the UFC. Um, I just watched Dana White Contender Series. I'm fucking hyped up after that. Uh, but these fights, man, I mean, Poirier Chandler, I don't even, I expect like Gaethje Chandler, basically. That shit is going to be wild. Andre Orlovsky back in there against Marcos Rogeria de Lima. That's a big dog. Orlovsky been there getting better. That's going to be a ton of fun. An amazing fight for the women's, um, strawweight, I believe. Tracy Cortez, Amanda Ribas. Fuck yeah, that's going to be fun. Two young, talented women. Tracy just now in the rankings. Ribas been rushed in there. Been fighting elite-level competition. Going to be great. Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett for the big dogs. I mean, what a slate of fights booked. That Askar Askarov fight, Edson Barboza fight, Dustin Jacoby, Dustin Poirier, the Ribas fight. I mean, those are all amazing fights. And uh, it's going to shape up the second half of the year to be bonanza. Other news, James Krause officially retiring as a fighter. He was just a part of Brandon Moreno's win, which we'll digest here in a minute. Um, and he has been in glory MMA really doing the coaching thing. He had fought on and off recently, looked decent, um, but definitely probably gets more value being a coach. And he's doing a goddamn good job doing it. This, this, this one came in this morning and this one's funny. If y'all are Roadhouse fans, which growing up in a small town, watching VHSs, that was life as we never had cable TV. And Roadhouse was one of those staple movies I just loved as a kid. 
simple, classic, Patrick Swayze. Well, Conor McGregor is going to co-star with Jake Gyllenhaal um, in the Roadhouse remake. I assume he's going to be the bad guy that comes in and gets into fucking bar fights. I'm interested to see how it goes. It makes me want to watch Roadhouse right now. If you don't like Roadhouse, what you got a fucking problem because that's a great classic movie, simple, a pleasing movie. Another fight canceled. The Frank Gore, um, Le'Veon Bell canceled last week's episode, and now the Jake Paul fight is canceled. Jake Paul blaming Ramen Jr. with his weight, wanting to have different weights or something like that. Um, you know, Dana White kind of gave him a jab because his manager uh, used to work for the UFC as an accountant and saying that it's not as easy as you think. Um, that was supposed to be at MSG. The bout is falling through. Um, so, you know, more drama in the Jake Paul world if, if we needed that. Speaking of MSG, PFL action at MSG. We get an Anthony Pettis versus Stevie Ray matchup rematch is the really the only fight I care about here. Um, Pettis tapped via body triangle or some shit um, in the last fight, but he says he was saving his energy for the, the, the playoffs. This is the playoffs. We'll see what version of Anthony Pettis um, you know, is going to show up because he hasn't looked that great. I mean, he was on a slide in the UFC. Uh, I thought he'd go to the PFL and dominate. It's been up and down. So huge fight for him. But let's fucking talk UFC 277, man. I don't know about what it's in Texas. They say everything's bigger in Texas, but this was a banger of a card. Um, I was up in the mountains. I actually bought the pay-per-view. I never buy the pay-per-view, but some of these fights I had to see. I didn't want to have to wait a bunch of time until they came on Fight Pass or something like that. So I bought the fucking pay-per-view. I was fired up. I, I ended up watching them Sunday or Monday when I was headed to the airport to fly back to Seattle. And I was just fucking fired up. I mean, these were some amazing fights. Prelims, main card, the whole the whole deal. For my picks, another hot week. One loss, 7-1. and one. I was 11-1 and one the week prior. I have a parlay with some fights this weekend that I could still win. We're looking good. Businesses Buckets is out here, boy. We're getting MMA ready. We get these picks coming at you. We got to get that bread, you know what I mean? But some fights we didn't break down. Um, Blood Diamond, tough loss to open up the prelims. Um, you know, he was out striking this guy. He got taken down a couple times. Good takedown defense round one. Um, just some things he's going to have to work on because he is a pretty awesome, unique striker. Obviously, Izzy has spoke to that in the city kickboxing team. Potential, but now he's 0-2 in the UFC. He's going to have to turn things around quickly. And a fight that we didn't break down. I figured this would be the case, but nice win by Nikolai uh, Nigu Moreno, um, you know, he, he's been looking good. He's undefeated. And again, tough loss by Blood Diamond. But we're going to kick it off in the fights we did break down. In the prelims, Drakkar close with the unanimous decision over Rafa Garcia. And this was an interesting start to the prelims. I was surprised, though, how Rafa was able to have more takedown attempts than, Dr than Dr Drakkar. I mean, Drakkar is a wrestler. Um, I figured he would look to stick to his, his grappling and he didn't do it as much as I had expected. He's really been putting on a, a an improvement showcase of his striking and Dracar looked solid throughout the fight. Rafa battled him, you know, toe to toe. I thought I would see a little bit more of a dominant performance by Dracar. He was also the Vegas favorite here, 
Um, but either way, good momentum for him. He's getting on a few wins after all that time off. The Jeremy Stevens push and all the shit he's had to deal with. This is still a legit lightweight in a very brutal division. I think the deepest and hardest division in all of UFC, all of MMA. Um, and he's right there in the midst of it. In his prime. Statistically, Drakkar landed 111 total and 61 significant strikes with two takedowns in 10 attempts. Compared to Rafa's 83 total and 34 significant strikes with three takedowns and 11 attempts. So not very efficient uh, in the in the wrestling for either of them. But Rafa getting one more takedown and had one more attempt than Drakkar. Now, Drakkar extends his winning streak to two, both on this year's, on the calendar year 2022. While Rafa has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. I would love to see next for Dakar, Mark Madsen or Grant Dawson. Mark Madsen, the Olympic wrestler, a little bit older, but has looked looked good. Uh, Grant Dawson, we all know about him. He's fought a lot, fought pretty much everybody in the division. Those would be good good bouts for him as he itches into the top 15. And Rafa, he could take on Christos Giagos or Jordan Levitt, Levitt, who just fought and lost to Patty Pimblett. He got twerked on, Call of Duty teabagged. Uh, but either way, those would be good matchups. There's not a lack of fights in the lightweight division in the fucking UFC. Now, I would—I mean, you see Drew Dober fight. You're always fired up. But Rafael Alves is a fucking savage, too. I assume this would be a fun stylistic matchup. I didn't think it would last as, as long as it did. But Drew Dober with a third-round TKO over Rafael Alves. This was a performance of the night bonus. And this fight was straight chaos. I mean, they started, both were swinging for the fucking fences right out the gate. I mean, at one point, Rafael was getting hit up in the cage. He was dancing, looking, you know, doing the Muhammad Ali shuffle. Uh, I mean, he just the showboating and the style. Drew was smiling when he was getting big blows, uh, when he was taking them and giving big blows. So, I mean, stylistically, this was a blast. I think the best part is that it almost did go the full three rounds that we get. We were able to continue watching them just fucking pile it on. Um, statistically, Drew landed 62 total and significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Rafael's 46 total and 37 significant strikes, and he had a takedown himself. So Dober, you know, he went through a rough stretch. He was fighting the big names of the division but he is now on a two-fight winning streak after dropping two in a row. Alves starts a new losing streak and is one and two in his last three fights. Um, since he got the contract from the Dana White Contender Series um, show. He has only fought killers, though, including um, Demir Ismagulov, Mark DeCasey, Andrew Dober. I mean, welcome to the fucking UFC, but that is just life in the lightweight division. And Al, although Alves isn't a young, you know, a young little chicken, you know, uh, you know, he's a little bit older. He's just been thrown into the fire and he showcased himself pretty well. He's a guy that don't fucking matter. Tune in. You know, he's going to put on a show. So what's next for these gentlemen? I think Dober versus Tiago Moises or Diego Fieta, who just pulled out of the Dracar close bout would be great. For Rafael, I could see him taking on Michael Johnson. I mean, come on, Michael Johnson, um, Rafael Alves, let's fucking go. That has to happen. Dana White, Sean Shelby, whoever the fuck, fight fans would go crazy over that. That would be one 
where someone gets knocked down, comes back, knocks the other guy down. I mean, that would be straight war. That shit would be must-see TV. And then we got um, in the main card started with a fight that I was really hammering the Vegas odds. I mean, Anthony Smith was a plus like 400 and something, 450 dog against a very good young up-and-coming Magomed Ankalev. And I, I wanted to, you know, put my money on the odds of why the fuck not. I put a parlay with him and obviously got busted. And I did another safer parlay because, you know, maybe Vegas and the, the matchmakers know more than I do. And I lost. This was the, the one loss of the night. Magomed Ankalev with a second round TKO over Anthony Smith. But this fight, we really didn't get to see it develop. I think Magomed was on his way. You know, he was winning the fight. Um, but... Anthony Smith, as usual, is throwing some hard kicks, and Ankalev was check checking him. I think where he actually broke his ankle was a high kick. It slapped his uh, arm, forearm, and you could see his, his ankle kind of do some weird shit. But he also was checking some of his leg kicks. I mean, if you're a fight fan, you've seen some nasty checked kicks go the wrong way. Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva, you, you get the, you get the, the gist. And this was pretty early in, you know, uh, late in round one. Uh, so, again, I thought Magomed at this point was winning. And you could see after round one, Anthony Sp Smith clearly limping. And as a fighter, you don't want to showcase any kind of injury because that other fighter can attack it. But, yeah, we come to find out round two, he could barely do shit. He's pulling guard. And uh, there was an idea that something was broken, maybe a leg, whatever. But it was his ankle. They confirmed it. So, I couldn't imagine trying to fight the broken ankle, especially against a killer like Ankalaev. Again, just what I saw, Megomed probably would have won the fight, but it would have been a damn good fight. Lionheart is a stud. I just wish we could have saw it, but it's a very tough circumstance for Anthony, who has been up to the title shot, gone all the way back, was now nearing another opportunity. Now he takes a step back. He's at the age he's going to be in and all the jobs that he has as a reporter. I'm interested to see his desire and what his next steps are, as I can see him kind of being a just a, a big fight guy, uh, somewhat of a gatekeeper, sadly. Statistically, Ankalaev landed 64 total and 46 significant strikes, compared to Smith's 21 total and 18 significant strikes. So Megomed is now on an impressive nine-fight winning streak. He is 9-1 and one in the UFC. He does move up one spot to number three in the rankings. And Smith has his three-fight winning streak come to an end and stays at number five. So I think Yuri is going to probably rematch Glover like he said he has, or he said he plans on doing. So I think Megomed versus Jan Blakovich for the number one contender, that is the fight to make. And for Smith, I'd like to see him take on Dominic Reyes. But uh, Dominic might be trying to return soon because he's had a big layoff, and I doubt Smith's broken ankle is going to heal up that quickly. So maybe after it heals up, he could take on Paul Craig, another legend in the division. That would just be a fucking awesome fight. And then this fucking fight. Holy shit. <clears throat> Alexandre Pantoja with a first round submission over Alex Perez. This was a performance of the night bonus. And this is just an example of one man just straight dominating another man and willing himself to victory. I mean, he impeded his will on him. Pantoja came forward right away with fucking hard shots like a bull seeing red. Got a takedown. Got Alex's back in a matter of seconds. 
and he didn't even get a rear naked choke finish. It was like basically around your jaw. I'm putting your face tight up against my chest because he had his back in with the body triangle, and I'm going to fucking smash your face Khabib style. And it was so hard. It wasn't a clean rear naked on the choke, but it got Perez to tap. And uh, I just don't think I've seen that kind of dominance besides Kamzat Chamaya fighting Li Jing, uh, Li Jing Lang. Because golly, that's just, uh, you know, I don't think Perez is going to be able to watch that back. If, if you have an ego, that, that's a tough one to watch back. Statistically, Pantoya landed eight total and significant strikes with that takedown and submission attempt compared to Alex's 10 total and significant strikes. So Pantoya, he's on a three-fight winning streak. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number two, while Alex is on a two-fight losing streak and stays at number six in the flyweight division. I would now expect Moreno Figueredo four, which we'll get to that fight in a second. So I think Pantoya is kind of in purgatory right now. He may want to sit. He's been known to sit before. But if he does want to stay active, he can face the winner um, as he has already beaten Moreno and Figgy and lost to Figgy. So he's one and one, beat Moreno, lost to Figgy. um, If he wants to stay active, though, I would like to see him fight Kai Kara France for the number one contender. Um, Obviously, Kai, his liver might take a little bit of time, but it'll be a lot faster than waiting for Figgy and Moreno. Um, They've already had, you know, money disputes. Figgy's still not recovered, so it could be quite some time. But you know, Pantoya, he, he might be chilling. Um, for Perez, I think him squaring up against Brandon Royval would be great. I wrote that. Now Brandon Royval has an opponent. So, yeah, Perez is kind of in a tough place. He's probably going to have to fight some up-and-comer that's, that's lower in the rankings. Or he could sit, which he's been known to sit. A lot of sitters in the flyweight. Lots of studs, though. It's a, it's a tough division. And then the big dogs. We had Sergey Pavlovich with a first-round TKO over Derek the Black Beast Lewis. And this one didn't go very far either, which I'm not too surprised. Both men were kind of filling each other out at the start of the bout, which is pretty common for heavyweights. I mean, one one wrong move, your lights are getting put out. And uh, once they kind of got going, Pavlovich just had a furious strikes into, into Lewis. He had him up, you know, Short amount of canvas between him and the cage. And he landed a right hook hard, which straight dropped Lewis head down and everything. Had some more shots before they called it. And, you know, I get where the ref's coming from. You see a big heavyweight drop like that. And their, their head basically bounce off the canvas. And then them landing some more shots. Like, okay, he's out. But Lewis, because he is so big, they kind of go down and they, they bob and weave their head to get up. Because they're not going to be able to just stand up, right? They're so big. It's going to take them some time. Pavlovich was always raining down some punches on him. So I think he was trying to bob and weave because right once the ref called it, Lewis stood right up, right? I mean, he was clearly not knocked out. I think this was easily an um, early stoppage. But to the ref's point, I mean, if I'm the ref, that, that, that that's, you know, debatable. I think with Lewis and, what, you know, where he's been, you kind of have to let it go a little bit longer. But either way, Pavlovich was definitely on his way. I mean, he clearly knocked the fucking shit out of, not knocked him out, but knocked, knocked him hard to, to drop like that, was landing some more shots, and who knows if he would have got up if Pavlovich doesn't land another big right or something like that. Or what I thought was going to happen, maybe he takes him down and lays on him, tires him out, round two, easy knockout, right? Now, and Pavlovich didn't even have to showcase his wrestling. 
You know, he was out striking the KO King. I mean, this guy is a fucking stud. He is a little lighter weight than a lot of these guys, but he's more athletic. And the heavyweight division, man, it's evolving a little bit. The Cyril Gons, you know, faster strikers. The Pavlovich just fucking shredded grapplers. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who reigns king post John Jones and so, some of the heavyweight, you know, legends, Stipe Miocic, so on and so forth. I mean, John Jones was the first elite guy to change up the big guys. You know, he hasn't fought in heavyweight yet. Um, I can't wait to see him fight in heavyweight. He's clearly in a league of his own. But guys like Pavlovich, guys like Cyril Gaon, I mean, shit's getting interesting to see big guys that can move like that. Statistically, Sergey landed 15 total and significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Derek's four total and significant. Derek is now on a two-fight losing streak, both of them this calendar year in 2022, and he drops two spots in the rankings to number seven, while Sergey is now on a four-fight winning streak, all via knockout. He is four and one in the UFC, and he moves up six spots in the rankings, number five via top five already. Now, I could see Pavlovich taking on Curtis Blades after that crazy Aspinall knee blowout. I think they said it was a torn meniscus in MCL officially. And Lewis, how about Jarzinho Rosenstrike? <clears throat> I was looking at potential opponents. I couldn't believe these two haven't fought already. I mean, that's going to be a, a fun fucking fight. I, th I think that's like a must-have. A must that's another easy one to book. Get that shit going. We'll see where, where Derek Lewis is at, though. He's got to be on his way out, I would assume. I mean, he's on a skid. He's lost to Texas three times now. I just don't know. He's getting paid well. I don't know how much more he loves the sport or how much he's truly bought in. And then the co-main. We have back-to-back -back title fights that are rematches. Brandon Moreno, babyface assassin, with a third-round TKO over Kai Kara France. Another fight of the night. And I was so iffy about this one. I left it off all my parlays and bets. And, you know, it's interesting because in the first fight, France knocked down Moreno clean. Clean knockdown round one. Brandon ended up showing, like, I'm going to outdog you. His physicalness, that Mexican-style fighting. He outscored and really outpaced Kaikara France the rest of the fight. At this point, they were both young fighters. Brandon Moreno's had stiffer competition. You know, I did pick Brandon in picks, just not in parlays. And the beginning of this fight made me think a little, you know, I was a little scared. Brandon was getting outstriked early, even though he was landing bigger power shots. Kai was just looking like the faster and crisper striker, like a, a just a cleaner boxer. Obviously, he's changed gyms a couple times. He's trying to improve. He's trying to evolve. And after round one, you could hear James Krause literally going in round two, telling him to follow up his combinations with either a, um, a a right hand or a, a, a let or just a kick, I don't think he said which leg, but just you're, you have your typical combos followed up with one more right because he's circling. All he is doing, which you know is very true, Kai is just sitting there looking for his left to open, right? So if you can counter that with one more punch on your way out of your combos or a body kick to push him back, he's not going to have range for that left. And this is exactly what happened. Moreno got into some dirty boxing, a little bit of Mexican boxing, a little bit of dog in him, but he landed a big combo. And afterwards, man, whew, my liver hurts thinking about it. He gets a nasty left kick to the liver and literally shuts Kai Kara France down for the TKO finish. 
They've showed images online since then, and uh, it's not pretty. I mean, golly, it's all bruised up. You could tell the toe got in there, and that wasn't the first kick there. You know, he'd landed some other ones, but this one was full force, and uh, I, I don't ever have, you know, I've never experienced what that would feel like and don't ever want to, um, but if that kick didn't shut him down, this would have been a very, very close and intriguing fight if it went all five. I would assume the Mexican just assassin in Brandon Moreno would have got the job done. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been crazy. But bravo to the baby-faced assassin, you know. He got cut up. He took some big strikes and still found a way to get the job done before, you know, even round four. Statistically, Brandon landed 59 total and significant strikes with that knockdown. Compared to Kai's 66 total and 53 significant strikes with the takedown. So you can see Kai did have more volume even in those three rounds. So Brandon now is got has the interim title. He is 4-1-1 one one since 2020. Most of those figgy. While Kai ends his three-fight winning streak and moves down one spot in the rankings to number three. So again, I think it's going to be Moreno figgy four. They already had figgy in the octagon hyping it up before the end of the fight. And I think Pantoja versus Kai for the number one contender spot makes sense. Or Kai versus Alex Perez if Pantoja waits around. There's a fight for Alex Perez. And then the main event. The Lioness is back. She said the Lion sometimes the first time it doesn't get its prey, but the second time it always does. Well, I'm surprised it went all five, but she got the unanimous decision over Juliana Pena. And this is one I actually put in the parlays and was pretty confident on. I watched Pena win in Las Vegas. Um, I can't remember if it was late December, early January. And I was shocked. I just did not expect it. You know, I think the, the excuses Amanda had were, were pretty valid. And I thought we were going to see a new version of Amanda here. And we really did. Um, Nunez blamed her injured knee. She had just had a baby. You know, she doesn't have. You know, her and her girlfriend, Nina Nunez, you know, they didn't, you know, they they got a surrogate. Nina had the baby, so it's not like Amanda had the baby. But, you're, you know, you're still part of that, still raising a child. That That's tough to do when fighting. And uh, she changed gyms to go by herself. So she had a lot of things going on, a lot of changes. Well, in this fight, Nunez beat her up like Volkanovski did Max Holloway in their third fight. I mean, this fight wasn't really close at all. She dropped her a bunch of times but in the first two rounds, and I mean dropped her. One of them was so bad, she knocked her whole body up into the air. I mean, if you're punching someone that it's like decleating them, so to speak, um, that's some fucking power. And I swear Pena's eyes rolled back into her head on her way down, and right as she hit the canvas, she was like revived, right? She was back up. She was ready to get going. And I mean, we all know Pena's a tough son of a gun. And she showed her toughness here. She started to come on as the rounds went by, as you would expect. Her cardio, her will. Like she said, we're going to find out whose ovaries are bigger and I'm betting on mine. She showcased that. She just got out, you know, outskilled. We're talking about the greatest fighter of all time here. And she was able to get a bunch of submission attempts as the fight wore on because she was getting taken down. She was getting knocked down. She was in full guard. Nunez played with her in full guard, which I'm not too sure was the best decision. Um, but she was still able to beat her in the wrestling grappling department to get the finish. She had um, some Kimura opportunities. 
I think she even had a triangle in there, an arm bar. I mean, she, she was scrapping. She was trying. She was doing everything she could. There was no quit in Juliana Pena, and this fight should still give her fans. You know, she, she got blown up being the champion. I think she already had fans. If you're a true MMA fan, ultimate fighter champion, so on and so forth. But I, you know, respect the shit out of the Venezuelan vixen, as everybody should. And you already know Nunez does. But the GOAT wins. The champ champ is back. I loved Nunez's post-fight celebration. She was showcasing the first time a fighter got champ champ twice. She's like, don't forget, this is the first time this has happened. She's like, I need a good fan to give me a beer after this. I want to drink a beer. Her coach put her on her his shoulders. She got a beer. It was an awesome sight. You know, it makes you wish you were there. Um, really awesome performance. The lioness is a fucking savage. You cannot, you know, Dana White speaks so highly of her. You cannot respect the things that she's doing. And it's just going to be fun to see where her career goes from here because she looked in shape. I saw someone online saying, man, Pena looks in shape. She's always in shape. Pena comes. She's a fucking dog. But Nunez, man, looked in shape compared to that first fight, and it showed. Statistically, Nunez landed 126 total and 85 significant strikes with six takedowns and eight attempts and three knockdowns. I swear there were more than three knockdowns, but maybe I'm crazy. And one submission attempt of her own. Pena landed 130 total and 60 significant strikes with a submission attempt. Again, there's more than one submission attempt in there. Uh, but Nunez starts a new winning streak, and Pena starts a new lo losing streak after winning two in a row. She is now the number one contender. And it's kind of interesting where that women go from here, especially in this weight class. I think Pena versus Ketlin Vieira is the fight to make. You know, hey, back for a number one contention. I don't think anyone would be upset to see Nunez Pena three. Um, Nunez could take on Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko said on the MMA hour, she was like, eh, you know, it would have to take a lot of the right things, right money, right things, because she has to change weight. You know, it takes her away from fighting in her own weight class. Um, or Nunez could fight the winner of Macy Chiasin and Irene Aldana uh, to defend the featherweight championship, as there's not a lot of competition there. But either way, the Lioness, it's going to be some fun to see her in the octagon again. All right, so this weekend, we have another fight night card back at the Apex, which is kind of lame. I'm liking these uh, other location fight night cards. But this is a, a, a just a main casual like pay-per-view like start, a 4 p.m. Pacific start on ESPN for the prelims, and the main card starting at 7 p.m. Pacific on ESPN as well. One fighter that's fighting will not be breaking down their fights. You know, uh, the old, the great Sam Alvey is fighting. Always fun to watch him. He's been through a lot of battles. Uh, kind of surprising he's still in the UFC, but he'll be fighting early on. But we're going to break it down in the prelims with Brian Pooh Bear battle. 27 years old with an 8-1 record. Taking on Takashi Tensato, 32 years old with a 16-5 record. Now... This is going to be a fun fight of a former Ultimate Fighter champion and an established UFC veteran. Brian is on a six-fight winning streak. He is 2-0 in the UFC. Four of his seven wins are via submission. While Soto, he's a southpaw fighter. He's a second Don Black Belt in Judo. He's on a two-fight losing streak. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. And three of his five losses are via submission. 
Now, Battle has massively improved each fight. I think he's really impressed, like impressed, as he's found himself as a fighter since you know his early days, and he's really found himself a home in this middleweight class. He's tall, he's lanky. That's always a good thing to have. Um, he is still very raw. He does have a lot of potential, and in this fight, Takashi Soto is no slouch. I mean, he's fought against the names of Gunnar Nelson, Miguel Beiza, and Bilal Muhammad. So this is going to be a great test, and we're really going to see the level of Pooh Bear in the octagon. But I'm taking Brian Battle. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have Terrence T-Rex McKinney, 27 years old with a 12 and 4 record, taking on Eric the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez, 30 years old with an 0 and 1 record. Now, T-Rex is a massive favorite. He's minus 1,000. Eric has only had one fight in the UFC, which did end up uh, being finished by knockout from Jim Miller. But when we look at it, Terrence is a purple belt in BJJ. He's a former D2 wrestler. He wrestled at North, uh, North Idaho and Chaudron State College. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He lost the uh, Dana White Contender Series to Sean Woodson, who is now in the UFC doing well. Five of his 12 wins are via knockout, and seven are via submission. So all of his fights are via finish. Three of his four losses are also via knockout. Now, Eric, he's on a one-fight losing streak. Eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. I do expect McKinney to have a great showing here after the loss to Dober. I'm with Vegas. I think it's going to be a, a, a quick knockout. I'm taking T-Rex, but we can't really put him on a parlay at minus 1,000. That don't do you no good. And then in the main card, we have Augusto Sakai, 31 years old with a 15-4-1 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak, 27 years old with a 14-3 record. Now, this is a big-time fight for both fighters. They're trying to move up in the rankings. You know, Sakai is in his prime, coming off a three-fight losing streak after getting high up in the rankings. He's desperate for a win here. Spivak's tough. He isn't even in his prime, but he'll grind you out. He, he's solid everywhere. He can grapple. He can strike. He's durable. Augusto, he's got a brown belt in BJJ. He is a Bellator and Dana White Contender Series alum. And he hasn't won since May of 2020. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. And three of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Sergey, he's an orthodox fighter. He's a former WWFC champion with two successful title defenses. It's like the worldwide fighting championships or something. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Six of his 14 wins are via knockout and six are via submission. So 12 of his 14 fights via finish. Two of his three losses are also via knockout. You know, that's not a big surprise in the heavyweight division. But this is going to be a very tough fight. The problem for me, I picked Sakai the last couple times. I just don't see Sakai after this three-fight skid to have the confidence after his last performance. I do think Spiv Spivak is gaining that confidence. I think he's going to go to his wrestling to grind out and gas out Sakai, who doesn't have the best you know, cardio. It's a tough fight to pick, but I'm taking the polar bear Spivak. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. 
and we getting that bread. We're all about the pears. Pooh Bear, Polar Bear, they're getting the dubs. And what a fight we get here. Vicente the Silent Assassin Luque, 30 years old with a 21-8-1 record and the number six next to his name, taking on Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, 31 years old with a 14-4 record and the number 13 next to his name. This is going to be one hell of a fight. I mean, both fighters have fought stiff competition their whole careers. They've had big winning streaks. They've somewhat come to an end of late. And uh, now it's brass tacks. I mean, both these guys in the rankings, Vicente's moved his way up quite a bit. You know, he's fighting down, but fighting a guy who's fought anyone, anytime, anywhere. When we look at it, Jeff is a blue belt in BJJ. He is a Dana White contender series and LFA alum. He is on a one fight winning streak and eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. Vicente, he's a black belt in BJJ and Luta Livre. He is an ultimate fighter alum. 11 of his 21 wins are via knockout. Eight are via submission. So 19 of his 21 fights are via finish. He is on a one-fight losing streak to Bilal Muhammad. In his past nine fights, six of them have been either performance of the night or fight of the night. So he's fucking, you know, box office, must-see TV. And he has the second most finishes in UFC welterweight division history with 13. Now, this fight's going to be a mix of everything. I think we'll see striking. I think we'll see grappling by both fighters. But I believe Luke is a better striker with more of a unique arsenal. He has those crazy angles, those crazy shots you can't really predict. But Neil, like he usually does, is going to make this fight dirty. He's going to try to out-cardio Luke, which is possible. It's three rounds, though. You know, it's not a five-round fight. But I like Vicente. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting this bread. And then the main event, Tiago Maretta Santos, 38 years old with a 22 and 10 record and the number six next to his name, taking on Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, 31 years old with a 10 and one record and the number 10 next to his name. This is a banger of a fight. I don't expect this to go five rounds. I don't expect this to go three. Tiago he is a black belt in Muay Thai and BJJ. He has a green rope in Capiera. He is an ultimate fighter Brazil alum. He is tied for the most UFC bouts in a calendar year with five. He's also tied for the most knockdowns in the UFC middleweight history with eight. He has the 2018 round of the year versus Jimmy Manua. He is on a one fight losing streak. He has one in four in his last five fights. And 15 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Jamal, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. Potentially a guy that could be the first Dana White Contender Series champion. Him in the Sugar Show. Sean O'Malley out there. Uh, he's on a two-fight winning streak. And six of his ten wins are via knockout. Now, Santos is a fucking animal. He is past his prime. I think he hasn't been the same since his knees got shattered in the John Jones fight. And Sweet Dreams is very confident just now entering his prime, and that's dangerous for anybody. I believe Jamal will have Santos dreaming by round three. I'm putting Sweet Dreams on my parlay. I'm marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. 
Other than that, we just had the Ultimate Fighter finale on this card as well. We're not going to break down those fights because they aren't even in the UFC yet. Um, but I watched the whole series. We have Muhammad Usman, Kamaru Usman's younger, bigger brother, taking on Zach Pauga for heavyweights. I think Zach has easily looked like the best heavyweight in that house. I think he finds a win here, potentially by knockout, and he is the, the, the Vegas favorite in this one as well. And for the women, we have Brogan Walker versus Juliana Miller in the flyweight fight. Um, Usman and Pauga are from Team Pena. Brogan Walker's Team Nunez and Miller Team Pena. So only one Nunez fighter. I think Juliana Miller is going to get the job done. She's one of those lanky, slim, hard-throwing, tough SOBs. And, and she is fucking crazy, boy. I mean, she's ready for life or death in there. She's a lot of fun to watch. I'm going to take Juliana Miller, who's also the Vegas favorite in that fight as well. So add in those Ultimate Fighter fights. And then next weekend, not this Saturday, but next, we have another Fight Night card, but this one is location outside of the Apex, so bravo for that. We get a fight in San Diego, headlined by Dominic Cruz and Marlon Vera. A decent card here as well. These past two Fight Nights have been a little bit shallower than most. But hey, lots of action in the MMA world. I just watched the Dana White Contender Series, so we are going to talk about that a little bit here a little bit. This week um, was wild. Week one, one, one contract awarded. Uh, Dana White was ripping into people's ass how, you know, you have to come to the Contender Series and really show out if you want a contract. Well, all five winners get contracts. Chris Duncan, the main event, getting a contract after getting waxed, somehow lands uh, a huge uh, shot to Charlie Campbell, uppercut to get the victory. Um, Vinicius Del Almeida Salvador, he trains with Amanda Freibas' dad. And this guy is, he reminds me of Sean O'Malley. He's a flyweight with legit fucking power, tall, skinny. He has his hands down low. He's juking you out. He's doing his thing. This guy is going to be a legit flyweight fighter. I think he's only 24 years old, a potential UFC future champion. That's how legit this kid is. If he doesn't get his ego too big, he keeps putting in the work. He has that kind of potential. The big reason I'm so into MMA as I just feel like I could be a scout, you, you see things, you know things, you just can see their potential. I saw it with John Jones. I saw it with, um, I don't know who else, um, Rose Nama Yunus in The Ultimate Fighter. I said early on, these guys will be champions. They've been champions. They've been some of the most dominant fighters in UFC history. I'm sure if you have any kind of MMA knowledge, that, that's pretty easily appealing from those fighters. But this is another guy that I'm super hyped up. I'm going to be a huge fan of him. Can't wait to see what he does next. He's durable as well. 100% finish rate in flyweight. That's unheard of. This Francis Marshall-Connor Matthews fight, golly. Connor Matthews, I think he's ex-military, tougher than nails. Francis Marshall went through it, found the way to get the job done. Francis Marshall looks legit. This was a UFC quality fight, prelim quality fight already. Um, and they're featherweight, which is a stacked class. The heavyweights wasn't quite as good, but the winner, Waldo Cortez Acosta, has some serious power. He got a contract. And then in the welterweights, uh, Billy Goff beating Shimon Smortritsky. He was getting waxed early on, found a way to win. I mean, what a great week of the Dana White Contender Series. Um, I'm excited for some future fights. This next week, the main event, I don't know who he's fighting. The guy is 4-0. But we get to see legit um, Penn State alum, Bo Nickel fighting. I mean, this guy wins. He gets to the UFC that early. That's going to be savage in a middleweight division that is already savage. 
Um, I hope we get to see his hands do some work. I know he's trying to prove his hands that he's not just a wrestler. Um, and then <clears throat> I don't know anyone in the next week, but Bo Nickel, Tuesdays, ESPN Plus. Check it out. We got some action. And uh, as I go MMA only, I'll, I'll try to dig deeper into these. I'll be watching some, some film playback. I'll be more prescriptive in what we're talking about. But let's shift gears to MLB because shit went down on the diamond. They were saying this had potential to be one of the biggest trade deadlines in history. I think the Juan Soto trade itself makes it that. But there was still a lot of action. As an Angels fan, obviously the Mike Trout situation happened. He was officially out around two weeks after that cortisone shot. So he's been struggling with that that back. Uh, he says he plans on being back uh, by mid or late August. So, you know, fingers crossed. Um, the Angels' last series is this weekend here in Seattle. I'm catching the Friday game and camping the rest of the weekend because there is no Mike Trout. I'm missing Shohei Otani as he's on the mound tonight. So just a bummer. The season's kind of a wash. But, uh, you know, hopefully he comes back so that he can get going and, and have a, a you know, amazing rest of his career. The Yankees making moves, you know they always do. They acquire Andrew Benatendi for three minor leaguers. I'm not going to name a lot of the minor leaguers unless it's really pertinent. Um, the Mets trade minor leaguers Jose Acuna and Hector Rodriguez for Tyler Naquin and left-handed pitcher Philip Deal from the Reds. Joe Musgrove signing a fat contract with the Padres, five years, $100 million. He's been a great pickup for them. Luis Castillo to the Mariners for Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore. Big haul for Luis Castillo. Um, you know, I wanted Robbie Ray on the Angels really bad. I really like Luis Castillo. They go to the Mariners. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Mariners baseball. I have season tickets. They're still in all my players, man. I'm going to have to low-key kind of root for them. We'll never be a fan, but uh, they got a lot of young talent. Trevor Story fractures his wrist. He'll probably be out for the rest of the year for the Red Sox. I expected him to sell more, and they didn't. The Padres get Josh Hader, legit closer, for Taylor Rogers, Robert Gasser, Story Ruiz, and Denilson Lament, giving up a ton of their farm for a legit closer. The Yankees get Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino for some prospects. Legit starter in the rotation and legit bullpen piece. The Astros strengthen their team by getting Trey Mancini for some prospects. Legit bat. Austin Riley signing a 10-year, $212 million deal to stay with the Braves. I don't know why people thought he was a one-hit wonder. I drafted him everywhere in fantasy in the league that I didn't get him. I wanted to trade for him. The guy wouldn't give him up. He's been hotter than ever. Um, the Braves have literally signed all their core players at young contracts early. They did what the Padres did with Tatis. Try to lock these guys up before they're, you know, older. You're signing them to big deals where they fall off a cliff and having to pay them more. Christian Velasquez traded to the Astros. A legit um, uh, batter for a catcher. Good defense, too. The Astros with him and Mancini looking stout. Tommy Pham traded to the Red Sox. Most people probably know him from the fantasy drama more than him as a player, but he's a pretty solid player. The Royals traded third baseman Emmanuel Rivera to the Diamondbacks for Luke Weaver. Um, is now, I believe, just a bullpen pitcher. Used to be a starter. I went to a Diamondbacks game when I went to Arizona two years ago. He almost had a no-hitter. The White Sox are acquiring Jake Diekman from the Red Sox for catcher Reese McGuire. Um, Jake Diekman's pretty solid. 
Chris Bryant goes to the 10-day IL, if that really matters, but a, a prior big name who hasn't done shit in Colorado. And why Colorado signed him, I'm still confused. No one knows what's on the Rockies' mind. The Pirates trade Jose Quintana to the Cardinals for prospects. He's had a pretty solid year for the Pirates. He was dog shit for the Angels. I don't think too highly of them, but, you know, a, a, a back-end rotational piece. The Astros trading Jake Odorizzi to the Braves for Will Smith. And the Braves also trade for Robbie Grossman from the Tigers for prospects. So the Braves adding some big names. The Twins add Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. Um, you know, closer potential, really good back-end bull bullpen piece. The Blue Jays trade for Anthony Bass and Zach Pop from the Marlins. Um, some good back-end uh, bullpen pieces as well. Joey Gallo really struggling. Andrew Benatendi takes his spot, so they ship him over to L.A. for the Dodgers. See if he can get that bat reawoke. <clears throat> Eric Hosmer had a no-trade clause in the Juan Soto deal, so the Red Sox trade for Eric Hosmer. I couldn't believe this. Not only did the Padres give up a ton for Josh Hader, and everyone says, you know, maybe the, the Nationals got waxed. Well, Juan Soto and Josh Bell are both free agents. That's a ton of money they're going to have to sign, and Juan Soto already said he didn't want to sign there. But they acquire Juan Soto and Josh Bell for Luke Voigt and prospects to Washington. Luke Voigt's probably like, F you, Hosmer, as I am now going to Washington in purgatory, but it is what it is. The Angels trade Brandon Marsh for Logan O'Hop. I love Captain Caveman, the long hair, a legit gold glove outfield uh, on defense, and him and Adele have been best friends coming up through the minor leagues. I figured if we were going to trade him, we would have done it when he was a top prospect, maybe got some more value back, but we get now the highest prospect in the Angels farm as a catcher as they are very, you know, in a big need for catchers, so that could be a win-win for both teams. Got uh, O'Hop from the Phillies as he's behind Real Muto. The Cubs trade David Robertson to the Phillies, their potential new closer. Tyler Malley gets dealt to the Twins. The Mets trade J.D. Davis and prospects to the Giants for Darren Ruff. The Padres also traded for Brandon Drury. They give up everything. They're all in. I don't know if they're going to be able to sign Soto and Bell. That'll be interesting. Trevor Rosenthal traded from the Giants to the Brewers. The Angels also traded Noah Syndergaard to the Phillies for Mickey Moniak and a second uh, prospect, uh, some outfielder. Decent prospects, but, you know, um, we're not winning. Give Noah there. Maybe he'll resign with in, in SoCal next year. Whit Merrifield goes from the Royals to the Blue Jays. Great piece for the Blue Jays. The Yankees acquire Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery which was kind of a weird late deadline move because I believe the Cardinals said that they didn't want to get rid of Harrison Bader for the Soto deal, but they get rid of him for Jordan Montgomery. That's kind of a head scratcher. Michael Givens, a legit closer that turned not legit and the Cubs goes to the Mets. Maybe he could relive some of that glory. The Angels trade Raziel Iglesias to the Braves for Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. As an Angels fan, I hate it. I love Raziel, the first closer we've had since K-Rod. Uh, but his contract's fat. He has had a dip in performance, so it might be the right time for them. Get a lot of money back. Tucker Davidson has some potential. Jesse Chavez, okay. Luis Severino on the 60-day IL for the Yankees. And in sad news, the legendary Vince Goley passing away at 94 years old. 
a history career as a journalist um, and a guy that thought I would maybe be a play-by-play or ESPN reporter, a legend, a guy that set the tone. Hats off to, to Vin Scully, man. When we look at baseball, where it stands today, the Yankees 11 ahead of the Blue Jays, clearly running the MLB with the best record at 70 wins. Them and the Dodgers, also 70 wins, 11 and a half above the Padres. AL Central Twins, a game ahead of the Guardians and two ahead of the White Sox. Both teams have been around 5-5, five 6-4 and five, six and four in their last 10. The Astros clearly ahead of the AL West, 11 ahead of the um, Mariners. NL East, the Mets, two and a half ahead of the Braves, 10 ahead of the uh, Phillies. Brewers, two ahead of the Cardinals to lead the NL Central. And in playoff positioning, I'll pull it up on my phone. I like the way Yahoo does it better. The Blue Jays are uh, two and a half games ahead of the Mariners for top wild card, and the uh, Rays are a half a game back from the Mariners. The Guardians a game and a half back. The Orioles only two back. The White Sox and Red Sox two and a half back, all right there in contention. For me, the Astros, Yankees did good at the deadline. The, the Minnesota Twins didn't do a ton, but tried to mix it up. They're also, you know, let's see how many were they ahead. They're also eh, only a game in, or two ahead of the, the division. So the the AL Central is going to be very, very interesting. The Mariners, who are in such a big playoff drought, are going to have to hold them off. But ideally, they'd beat each other up a little bit. Um, and the AL East is beating each other up as well as the Rays are trying to stay alive. The Rays didn't do a ton at the deadline either. So, you know, the Mariners doing some pieces, adding Luis Castillo. That's legit. Uh, probably could have added a better bat, but, you know, maybe Hanniger comes back. Kyle Lewis relives some of his, his glory here. NL wildcard Braves, three and a half ahead of the Padres, who are three ahead of the Phillies. The Cardinals are half a game back. The Giants, five games back. Um, Atlanta bolstered their team. The Padres clearly bolstered them. The Phillies bolstered a lot. The Cardinals, not so much, and the Giants, not so much either. So I think the NL will probably stay the way it is, but the Cardinals and Giants, you never know. The Phillies tend to choke, and so do the Padres. Shit's going to get interesting. When we break down what happened in last week's, last weekend series, there wasn't a lot of good series last weekend, in my opinion. Um, but the Guardians did beat the Rays 2-1, to one, huge for the wild card, AL wild card. The Mets swept the Marlins 3-0. to zero. The Brewers beat the Red Sox 2-1, ALNL, put the Red Sox back. The Astros showing dominance over the Mariners, beating them 2-1. The Guardians beat the White Sox 2-1, which allowed them to leapfrog them in that wild card situation. And the Dodgers sweeping... Nope, I don't think that's right. I'm not going to say it. That was the weekend before I left it on there. But this weekend, we have some decent series. We have Braves Mets in New York in City Field. That's going to be very fun um, starting on Friday. Astros Guardians in Cleveland. The Guardians trying to stay alive in that wild card. The fact that the Guardians are there and my Angels have you know blown it up so bad, it just really kills me. Um, I really do think the, the Angels are better than Guardians, but no Trout, no Rendon. The list goes on and on. It is what it is. Um, What else? Blue Jays traveling to Minnesota to, to play the Twins. That's going to be fun. Blue Jays with all those new names in, in their jerseys. The Cardinals hosting the Yankees. Huge series for the Cardinals. My Angels will be here in Seattle. Doesn't really matter. And the Doyers hosting the San Diego Padres. That's some big business happening. 
In the NFL, some interesting headlines as well. Excuse me. The Steelers uh, rightfully signing Chris Boswell, four-year, $20 million, which has him as one of the highest-paid kickers in NFL history, him and Justin Tucker. And they said that it would be like the the, the lowest pay for a quarterback in the league. Uh, but Chris Boswell, fucking bravo, man. You've been a legend, and you deserve this. Deshaun Watson has all but one of his lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct uh, to be settled, so only one was left. The judge rules a six-game suspension. When I talked about suspensions, I said it would be six games. This is what it is. I don't want to talk about it too much. It's too political. People are going to try to cancel me or burn me to the to the grave. Uh, but it is what it is, six games. I'm not surprised. He will probably try to um, you know, get that reduced, but I would assume that it stays. And Cleveland is hooping and hawing ha- and as they now have a franchise quarterback. Some other receivers get in the bag. No surprise. Debo Samuel signing a three-year, $73.5 million deal with 58 of it guaranteed. And there is even rushing incentives in the contract. Uh, fellow big stud wide receiver DK Metcalf signing a three-year, $72 million deal with 58 of it guaranteed. Not too sure why the Seahawks would want to sign him as they're not in a win-now position. That d- division is brutal, but they got to have someone there to sell tickets. Ryan Kerrigan and Derek Wolf is officially retiring. Two legit defensive players in the NFL. Uh, very good careers. Ryan Kerrigan was an animal. So bravo to them in their careers. KJ Wright also retiring, but uh, already been retired. He's retiring as a Seahawk, so that'll be good for him. The Bucks have center Ryan Jensen out for the year with a season-ending knee injury. Brutal, brutal news for the Bucks. Um, you know, us Tom Brady haters are clapping, and we're, we're happy. Uh, David Bakhtiari undergoes his third knee surgery. Unclear if he'll be back for the start of the season. I doubt that that will be the case. D. Ford released from the 49ers. Carlos Dunlap joining the Chiefs on a one-year $8 million deal. They've been adding uh, rush defenders quite a bit uh, last minute in the offseason. Carlos Dunlap's still a force to be reckoned with. OBJ might be coming back to the Rams as Van Jefferson has a procedure on his knee. No timetable for a turn. I want to assume it's for the start of the year. James Washington suffers a Jones fracture in his foot, expected to miss two months for the Cowboys. I thought that would be a great fit for him, uh, but now he's suffering a foot injury. Tough break for James Washington. Micah Kaiser on the IR and and supposedly out for the year. Uh, Legit linebacker. And then Tim Patrick just gets a payday for the Broncos. Russell Wilson's probably going to like him as a receiver. Suffers a torn ACL and is out for the year. Good thing they have wide receiver depth. And the Dolphins getting dinged for tampering with the Brady chase and also attempting to contact Sean Payton. They get hit hard. They lose next year's first round pick and the 2024 third round pick. Hey, um, ex-Dolphins coach uh, Brian Flores, now linebacker coach for the Angels, he knew it, right? They they, they did some weird shit. They're getting hit for it. Elsewhere in sports, we have a few NBA headlines. Paolo Banchero joining the Jordan brand. Seattle legend uh, kid put on a show at the Jamal crossover, 50 points. He's doing the damn thing. Eric Paschal signing a one-year deal with the Wolves. You'd love to see it. Let's go Nova Nation. Speaking of Nova Nation, Colin Gillespie getting surgery for a lower leg fracture. His NBA days are probably gone. Best case scenario, you heal up and play overseas. Brutal as he was a Villanova legend as well. 
and icons in the sport, man. Bill Russell passing away at 88 years old. Vince Scully, Bill Russell, we lost some legends. Uh, guys that set the pace, provide opportunity for everybody. They will not be forgotten. Bless their lives. Prayers to family, friends. Bill Russell is an icon. But episode 94, we're wrapping that up. Uh, lots of MMA happening. Uh, I just can't wait till UFC 280 and 281 at MSG. Those are going to be some spectacular cards. But we got some more Bellator stuff coming up soon. PFL playoffs getting in action. Plenty of action happening. And the MLB season is getting closer and closer. We're understanding who's the playoff uh, teams that are going to be in the race. But we'll see you guys next week.